0: With that, we're going to look this morning at chapter 12, verses 27 through 43. We're going to skip a few verses that is yet once again a litany of names. Um, And so we will do so, but we will read most of it nonetheless. So here we go. Chapter 12, verse 27. Now at the dedication of the wall of Jerusalem, they sought out the Levites in all their places to bring them to Jerusalem to celebrate the dedication with rejoicing, with thanksgivings, and with singing, with cymbals, harps, and lyres. The companies of the singers gathered together from the circuit around Jerusalem and from the villages of the Netaphethites, also from Beth Gilgal, and from the region of Geba and Asmapheth. For the singers had built for themselves villages around Jerusalem." And the priests and the Levites purified themselves, and they purified the people and the gates and the wall. Then I, this is Nehemiah, brought the leaders of Judah up onto the wall and appointed two great companies that gave thanks and went in procession. One went to the right on the wall to the dung gate... And after them went Heshia and half the officials of Judah. And then there's a great list of all the different names of folks who went. And then in verse 38, the other company of those who gave thanks went to the left. And I followed them with half of the people on the wall above the tower of the ovens to the broad wall. And above the gate of Ephraim, and by the old gate, and by the fish gate, and the tower of Hananel, and the tower of the hundred, to the sheep gate. And they came to a halt at the gate of the guard. So both companies of those who gave thanks stood in the house of God, I and I and half of the officials with me, and the priests, Eliakim, Messiah, Miniamen, Micaiah, Elionai, Zechariah, and Hananiah, with trumpets, and Messiah, Shemaiah, Eleazar, Uzi, Jehonan, Malkisha, Elam, and Ezer, and the singers sang with Jezriah as their leader. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoiced, for God had made them rejoice with great joy. And the women and children also rejoiced, and the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Sisters and brothers in Christ, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. God, we do gather on this day, just a few days before Thanksgiving, at the close, Lord, of a, of a time of kind of being steeped in Nehemiah. And so we thank you one last time for this remarkable book, for the ways in which you have shown us your faithfulness through the story of long ago and i pray lord that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts will be acceptable in your sight o oh, lord our strength and our redeemer amen and amen all right so This is kind of the end. If you keep reading, you realize it's not the very end of Nehemiah, but it's the last time that we're going to be looking at this, at least for right now. And it's interesting because we finally come to the end here, and all of a sudden now, we have the dedication of the wall. And it's a little bit interesting because of the fact that the wall, if you've been studying this, actually happened several chapters earlier. They actually finished it, you know, well back in this, I think it was chapter five when they finally finished the wall. And so there's this kind of strange question as to why they've waited so long to actually dedicate the wall that was finished long before. And so I'm going to start the sermon just with a brief caveat. This is not the way you should start sermons, um, but I didn't care. So we're going to do it anyways, which is just a brief caveat, which is to ask the question, why, why would they do that? Why wouldn't they have done it right after in the very next chapter? Well, what's been pointed out is the theological piece of this that's interesting is the fact that what's happened since they built the wall? Well, we know some of the things that have happened. Um, They began to read the scripture. They began to hear the scripture. People began to pray. There began to be confession. They began to be generous together. They began to worship together. All of these things happened after the wall was built. And as theologians have pointed out, and I think hopefully so, what that does is it helps us to see that the wall was not actually the Rather, the wall that was being rebuilt was the means to a further end. Mark Roberts says the building of the wall was the way in which the covenant people of God were renewed. What he's saying there is ultimately what was most important about all of this was the fact that a group of people began to understand who they were, began to understand who God was. They began to work together in community. They began to be shaped differently. All of these things happened because of the wall. The wall was a tool. It was a venue. It was the way through which God worked to shape a new kind of people. But the wall was not the end. It was the means to the end. So why does that matter? Why would I bring that up? Because of this, it is very easy for us to oftentimes make particular things the end rather than the means to a greater end. Ultimately, here at ZPC, we're about making disciples, and we've defined that as being shaped more like Jesus and building for God's kingdom. And there's lots of ways to do that, but we have to always remember that discipleship is the end, and that we don't worship the means to the end. See, there's what we call that. We, this can happen with buildings, it can happen with programs, it can happen with staff where we begin to make those things the most important thing, and we forget to what they are pointing. Do you know what we call those sorts of things when we glorify those things, like the wall, rather than the ends? We call that, there's two words, it's called a sacred cow. Have you heard that before? Right, sacred cows. So when you're at seminary, they tell you, when you're a pastor, when you're a pastor and you first get to a place... Beware the sacred cows because they will bite. And it's absolutely true. Almost every church has some kind of sacred cow. They have something for which you had better be very careful when you walk into a place because if you do something, if you try to change it or whatever that is, and and, and whatever, if it's a program, if it's a person, whatever, it's a part of the building, whatever, it doesn't matter what it is, whatever it is. If you poke it too much, you will get in trouble. Does that make sense? And so so normally, right, I, I'm only talking about this after I've been here almost six years because it feels like I'm at least safe enough that not too many people will leave if I start talking about what, what some of our sacred cows may be. And now I have to say that by and large, I think ZPC is pretty good. I mean, but you hear about this with churches, right? Some churches that have parlors, right? You remember there's, there are churches that have parlors, and and sometimes you'll have like a, a youth group that's really growing, and the, the youth hall or the youth room is like right next to the parlor, and they're like, hey, you know what? We could really expand if we could move into the parlor that would would be great and people are like no you can't move into the parlor that's where our first pastor 150 years ago used to always study for his or her sermons right those kinds of things happen right that's a sacred cow that's that's it's saying wait well wait is that what's important or is it the fact that we have this youth group that's thriving right so these are the kinds of things now so when I first came in here um, um what what did what was I nervous about whether or not it might be a sacred cow what do you think that was See, no one wants to say it. Here's the thing, right? Because if you say it, you know, people will come at you with pitchforks, right? And, and, and so, and if 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 after I say what one of them could be, you want to get a pitchfork, it's a, probably a pretty good sign that that might be a sacred cow, right? Um, I, so so one of the things, of course, you guys know this, all right We talked about it a little bit before. Great banquet, great banquet. At times when I came in, see, some of you all of a sudden perked up. When I, when, when I came in, I was a little nervous. Now, why would you be nervous about great banquets? Great, it's wonderful. It's done all these incredible things. Yes, that's true. But sometimes it was talked about so, highly it was like this right and 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 you're 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 like whoa right and so one of my jobs and some of you didn't like this but one of my jobs was to poke it a little bit to see if it moved right that's what you do with the sacred cow I worked on that line for a while I'm glad a couple of you liked it right and and so and so literally I mean I said things a couple times just to kind of make fun of it just a little bit just to see how angry did people get some of you right now are still very nervous about this. I realize it's incredibly important, and it really is, but do you know what? do you know why Great banquet's important? Not because it's great banquet. You know why it's important? Because it has helped to shape disciples. That's why it's important. So, But one of the great encouragements to me, Clay was a lunch I had with Clay Barnes. Clay and Karen Barnes, they just kind of, they handed off the reins, if you will, um, um, to the Odell's. And they're going to kind of take over uh, as a community lay directors. That's the proper name, right? Yeah, as the CLDs, they're going to take over. But so about four years ago, I mean, Clay, I think had just kind of taken over. And he, we sat down for lunch and, and he said, here's the thing, Jerry, here's what I want you to do. He goes, I, you're, you're, you're kind of newer to all this, you know, and, and here's what I want you to just observe Great Banquet. Just look at it. Look at it really carefully. And here's the thing. He said, this is a tool. And if, if you can think, you know what, if there's a different program, if there's something different that helps in an even better way than Great Banquet to help people in their kind of discipleship, then let's do that. Let's stop doing Great Banquet and let's do whatever that might be. Now, I didn't share that story with anybody else right after that, because you guys would have taken a pitchfork to Clay Barnes, but here's what I knew. That's when I realized, okay, this is good. This is something that we can work with, because what the leader understood is that it wasn't the thing in and of itself. It was what it was pointing to, which is discipleship, shaping people like Jesus, building for God's kingdom. Now, the good news for those of you who are nervous about all of this is, as I said, you know, after a couple of years, I said to Clay, you know what, this really is a great thing. There's no question. I mean, Great Baker does a remarkable job. I don't have any other ideas that are any better than that. But... What's important as it comes to the wall and all these things is that we always hold these things lightly. Home groups, you know, that's kind of my baby. I love home groups. At some point, there very well may be a better way to connect with Jesus and others in home groups. And I'll have to say, okay, that's fine. One of the things that we always do is we just need to be honest about all these things. Music, buildings, programs, staff, pastors, whatever they may be that can easily become idolized. When we forget that they are not the end, And so I just kind of wanted us, as, as, as we saw this and this, this kind of the length between the actual building and the dedication, I thought, well, this is something great that we can just kind of talk about for a brief moment. So you have the great dedication of the wall. And one of the things that you need to know is that this was a massive celebration. They had a lot of time to prepare for it, of course, and, and it was a great celebration. Celebration. What, what did they say? They said that they had large choirs, great joy, many sacrifices of thanksgiving. There's a massive amount of people, and they gather together. And, and what they begin to do, you may not be able to have gotten this from the reading, is that they're, they're splitting up, right? One's going to the right, one's going to the left, and they're going to march around the wall. There's lots of singing and music, like over half of this passage is about music and singing and movement, and then they're going to meet on the other side. One of the intriguing things is that most scholars think that the place it began was at the valley gate. And if you remember back in chapter 2, the valley gate is the gate through which Nehemiah walked through under the cloak of darkness when he did his initial kind of observation of the wall. In other words, what's happening here is that Nehemiah is kind of starting where he had started long before, and he was retracing his steps, if you will, to where they are right now. You. You know what this is like, right? You've probably done this before. I, I thought about this when it came to uh, the first time that Megan, my wife, um, um, when she uh, came down to Pensacola, Florida, which is where I had uh, kind of went to high school, and where my mother still lived. We went to go visit my mom. But, you know, the first time she'd been there. So, of course, what did I do? I kind of retraced some of, you know, Jerry's glory days, right, back in high school. And so what did we do? We drove around. Oh, that's where, that's where my best friend Brad lived. Oh, we had some good times there. And you kind of talk about some of those stories stories and oh that's that's where that's my first job right which was cleaning bean sprouts isn't that an interesting first job I've, I don't think I've talked about that well, I'll figure out a way to put that into a sermon at some point and so so this is you know that's where I cleaned bean sprouts you know oh there's there, there's a football stadium where I became a legend <laughs> I, I told her that she didn't believe it nor should she have so because it's just not true. So, but all of those different things, right? All of those different times, right? Because you just kind of relive that, right? That's just what happens, right? We, we kind of go through and oh that, right? And I think this is what Nehemiah is doing, right? He's kind of walking some of those great steps, right? Oh, I remember when I walked through this and it was so dark and I looked at the wall and I thought, oh, gee whiz, this place, how are we ever going to be able to do this? And, and he kept walking. Oh, this is where I told people this grand vision that God had given to me and, Oh, that's, that's where I stayed up. I remember staying up all night one night because I thought for sure Sanballat, their enemy, was going to attack. And, oh, you know what? That, that's where I prayed against my enemies and prayed that, 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 that the wall would flourish. I prayed to God. And, oh, that's where I first was when I heard the people uh, um, whining. Remember, oh, we're pooped. Right? And I remember that's where it was. And then they keep going, oh, and this Is where that last piece of rubble was placed on the wall. The final piece of the wall. And Nehemiah retraces this as they walk around. There's this time to be thankful. And yet one more time we see the importance, as we've been saying throughout Nehemiah, of creating space physically, emotionally, and temporally. In time, creating space... To remember and to be thankful for God's faithfulness. Now, for the last time during our series in Nehemiah, I want to say this. I've said it before and I'm going to say it again today. And I'm sure I'm going to say it again at some other point. Being thankful... Being a people of gratitude, as we see in Nehemiah, as we see in this scene, it will not just happen. I cannot stress this enough. I think far too many of us think that becoming a thankful people and a people of gratitude will just sort of naturally occur as we have more things to be thankful for. Well, when there are enough good things for me to be thankful for, then I will be thankful. And I am here to tell you, as I've said before, if you are waiting for enough good things for you to begin to become a person of gratitude, that time will never come. It takes a practice, and it takes continual practice. And most of us don't like to look at it like that, but that's the reality. Throughout Nehemiah, we have seen him practice this. He's created this space to think about the ways that he can be thankful to God. It takes practice. Most of us, though, tend to kind of just think it's just going to happen. This week I was... um, I was watching my daughter play solitaire. That's kind of the exciting things that we do in the deck household. And so I was watching her play solitude and or solitaire in solitude. And she was bemoaning the fact that she wasn't playing it on the computer because she said, ah, oh, you know, I like doing it on the computer. I said, Why do you like doing it on the computer rather than like actually playing a card? Oh. Well, for one, it gives you helpful tips on the computer. Oh, well, maybe you can do this. All right, that's fine. But the other thing she says is, I hate shuffling. I'm so bad at shuffling the cards and the computer, you just hit a button and it just shuffles it. And I've noticed that, that as a part of this, what she was kind of saying, and she's kind of said this before is oh, Daddy, how come you you're so you, you know how to shuffle? You're so good at shuffling, and I'm just so bad. I'm I'm pooped, basically. And so I said to her, here's the thing, babe. Guess what? Daddy did not just wake up one morning, and all of a sudden, he's like, shuffling. And I wasn't born with like a deck of cards in my hands. No, no. You know what happened is that, is that we practiced again and again and again and again. And that's how I began to be able to shuffle, right? And here's the reality. Most of us, I think, are more like my daughter when it comes to being a people of gratitude. We think it will just happen. And we don't think we don't want to practice it because then it doesn't feel real. No, no. You have to practice it. We see that throughout Nehemiah, but there's something else you see throughout Nehemiah, which is the fact that he has created a community, an environment in which gratitude happens because again and again and again, you see it and they all begin to do it together. About once a year, I love to show this picture to you all of what I looked like when I first came to ZPC. You remember that? Basically me, right? I mean, back then, again, you guys don't remember it. It's been almost six years. So... Oh, uh, you can shut it down. It's very distracting for me, quite frankly. Um, but but the reason I always like to show that, well, there's lots of reasons I like to show that photo, but 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 typically the story I tell after showing that is, is what happened when I lived in Grove City for just less than a year and a half, and how in that time I lost more than 30 pounds. And 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 why did I lose more than 30 pounds? Well, there's probably several reasons, but the primary reason is because there was no good place to eat out. No, no good place. Right? I mean, I mean, a good Mexican was a half hour away, Red Robin was 45 minutes away. All those things were really far away. So we always ate at home, which just tends to be healthier. And so I had no other options. And so I was steeped in healthy foods. That was my environment. I had no other choices by and large. And so I stayed there. And because I had put myself, right, intentionally or unintentionally, in this environment all of a sudden my, I physically began to be shaped differently. And so one of the things when it comes to being a person of gratitude to ask yourself is, who am I surrounding myself with and what am I surrounding myself with? If you're only surrounding yourself with things that are always having advertisements, of course, you know, as we've talked about, where they're always making you want more, 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 it's hard to become a person of gratitude and thanks if all you ever want is more. And if the people that you're hanging out with are people who are always just complaining and, oh, this place stinks and our world is going you know to Hades in a handbasket and everything is horrible and all you do is watching things that always tell you that, guess what? It will not cultivate a person of gratitude. You have to practice gratitude and you have to put yourself in an environment of gratitude. And here's why it is so important. Because there are lots of byproducts of being thankful and being a person of gratitude that we oftentimes forget. One of those is a realization that we are dependent on God and we are dependent on others, okay? A second one, as we've talked about many times, is generosity. Generosity is a byproduct of gratitude, right? As we think through commitment cards, as we think through all those sorts of things, what you give, one of the things we say, you never give to the church in hopes That then God will love you. God already loves you. And if that's why you're giving, stop giving. We give in response out of thanks for what God has done for us. But then thirdly, and we see this a lot in this passage, it is because of gratitude. As you became a person of gratitude, you will become a person eventually, if you stick with it, who is full of joy. That's what we see in this passage again and again. Remember, throughout Nehemiah, they have become, they have been shaped, they have been practicing gratitude. And so now, here at the end, we finally begin to see that they are becoming people of joy. Listen to this last verse. They offered great sacrifices that day and rejoice. For God had made them rejoice with Great joy. The women and children also rejoiced. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. What is the theme of that verse? Joy. Right? Again and again and again. And yet most of us think, well, we'll become joyful, just like we say with gratitude, as soon as we have enough things to be joyful about. Henry Drummond says, though, that like most fruit, and joy is a fruit of the Spirit, joy needs to be grown. And I love what Stephen Fowl says, and we have this quote right here. He says this, Rejoicing is not something that Christians will simply do as a matter of course, right? It will not just happen. Instead, it results from a disciplined formation of our ways of thinking and acting in the world. In other words, disciplined formation. You don't really think about that normally when it comes to joy. You just think, well, we should just be a people of joy. It is a disciplined formation through training and through our environment that we become a people of joy it will not just happen Brene Brown who's kind of taken off in popularity she's been around for a while but she's kind of all the rage at this time and she's a researcher and so she has researched and done tons of interviews with lots of different people and she has like uh, over 12 years like 11,000 pieces of data or something that she says and and most of these have come from interviews and one of the things that she said that surprised her was that when she, at every time, without exception, every time she interviewed somebody who they said that they were a person of joy, every time they also said that they practiced gratitude. Every single time. Meaning, if you want to be a person of joy, you don't get that by just saying, how can I be more joyful? Be more joyful. It doesn't Happen. You have to practice gratitude. Here's what a Jesuit priest, a brother, once said It's not joy that makes us grateful, it's gratitude that makes us joyful. Let me say it again It's not joy that makes us grateful, it is gratitude that makes us joyful. In other words, if you want to be a person of joy, then we have to be a person of gratitude. And gratitude takes training. It takes practice. It takes creating an environment full of grateful people. And why is this important? It's not just important for you and for your joy. It is important because it is a remarkable witness to our world. Remember again what the very end of that chapter says, the joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. The joy of Jerusalem was heard far away. Now that probably means more audibly, and yet it seems to me that it means much more than that. It means that a person of joy will have an impact well beyond what they might ever believe. Here's what Gordon Fee says. He says this, In a world where fear is a much greater reality than joy, our privilege is to live the gospel of true shalom, wholeness in every sense of that word, and to point others to its source. In a world where fear is a greater reality than joy, we have the privilege of being a people of joy as a witness to Jesus Christ. Christ. But it will not just happen. I want to be clear that when it comes to joy, it isn't an ignoring of the evils and the darknesses that are so prevalent in our world. I know and we try to talk about very honestly here, the struggles of this world, the brokenness of this world. I know that our politics are a mess. I am aware that racism is still far too rampant. I I get that you're going to have family that's going to come over for Thanksgiving and there's going to be a wrestling over the remote control with whether or not you're going to be watching Fox News or CNN. I understand that there are people here who this Thanksgiving and Christmas is the first one since a loved one has passed away. Joy is not about ignoring those things. But here is what I also know. That if we hope to shed light into dark and broken places, it does no good for us to be Eeyore in a dark place. It does no good for us to be a people... of hopelessness and walking into a place of darkness that adds nothing to the conversation, that changes nothing. Instead, it seems to me what God calls us to is to be a people who are full of joy because we know in whom our faith belongs and in whom we know that darkness will not prevail. But we cannot expect to steep ourselves in darkness at all times, to surround ourselves with people dark people of darkness at all times, to simply never practice any, anything of gratitude and just show up in the world and just say, hey, we're full of joy. It will not happen. And so once again this morning, once again, and I know we've done this a lot of late, but we're going to keep doing it. We are going to practice gratitude. And we're going to do so in a way that forces you, if you are physically able, to get up out of your seats. One of the reasons for that, quite frankly, well, there's lots of reasons, but the main reason is because in this passage, they're getting up. They're walking around. I considered having us get up and walk all around the church in two different ways and meet. But I knew that I'd hear a lot of cars starting if I did that. We'd start with all of us and we'd end with about 25 of us, right? So hopefully you got two postcards when you came in. If you didn't, let us know and we can, um, we can get you some. Here's what I want you to do. Here's one, one thing you can do. You don't have to do this, but I think it's a great idea. Which is I would love for you to think through. Remember Nehemiah again and again It reminds us of those who have gone before us, of those who have in some ways kind of cultivated our faith. And so I thought, well, one thing we could do, if you want to, is you could write down, here is a person who shaped me spiritually, and I am thankful for that person. And you can come down at the appropriate time and drop it off in the basket. And then with the other postcard, and this is why you might want to think this through, if the person is still alive, if they're not, maybe you can send it to a family member. I want to encourage you then to send that postcard to that person. The further away, the better. As a way of giving thanks for the way that he or she or they, um, as a family, whatever it might be, as a way of giving thanks to saying thank you For the role you have played. Now, if there's a different thing that you want to give thanks to somebody for, that's fine. You can do that as well. We're not judging you here. Um, But as a way of thinking through, how might I both be honest and, and say in this place, thank you, God, for the ways that you have done this, as a way of shaping us into a people of gratitude, and then also as a way of then letting folks know. Because, man, the more that people know, this is what happens, that you are thankful for them, guess what happens to them? they become more joyful. Have you gotten a thanks lately? Have you received a postcard or a letter of somebody saying thank you if you haven't imagined what that would feel like? It's remarkable in its rarity. And in our world where we rarely do those things, we have an opportunity to let our joy be heard far away. So we're going to take two minutes now You can fill that out. If you didn't put your commitment card in the offering plate, you can bring that down as well as a sign of generosity, as a sign of thankfulness to God.